Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode six of the Hippodrome Silent Film Festival podcast. Today's episode is focused on an exciting silent screening coming up in August, a HipFest collaboration with the Edinburgh International Film Festival. As part of their vibrant 2023 programme across a variety of Edinburgh venues, Safety Last will be screened in the cinema under the stars strand with live piano accompaniment by the talented HipFest favourite Mike Nolan. The screening will take place in the Old College Quad in Edinburgh on Sunday, August the 20th at 3pm. Perhaps not stars at that time, but hopefully some rare Scottish sunshine. Safety Last is one of my personal favourites and I've never known anyone who hasn't loved the film's brilliant mix of comedy and thrills. It stars comedy genius Harold Lloyd as an upwardly mobile, in more ways than one, small-town lad who moves to the big city where he finds himself performing a death-defying publicity stunt. The sequence of Lloyd scaling the outside of a towering building and hanging perilously from an enormous clock face is without doubt one of the most famous scenes in cinema history and all the more astounding when you know that Lloyd really was scaling the building even though his safety net is out of shot. Stand aside, Tom Cruise. In this episode, our HipFest digital wizard, Christina Weber, speaks to Tamara Van Straithem, executive producer of the Edinburgh International Film Festival, and to silent film musician, Mike Nolan, to discuss the upcoming screening Topics covered include the importance of providing unique experiences for cinema-curious audiences, the process of silent film research and accompaniment, cinema as an opportunity to look back, the practicalities of watching film outdoors, and lots and lots about Harold Lloyd. We hope you enjoy listening in, and if you can join us in Edinburgh to watch this super film on August the 20th, we look forward to seeing you there. The relevant booking link will be posted alongside this episode, so do click through for more info and tickets. Take care. So for our online listeners at home, just to explain who is talking, my name's Christina Weber, and I am the social media officer, online coordinator, and I have an unofficial title of podcast wrangler here at HipFest. And I'm delighted today to be chatting to Tamara Van Straithem, executive producer at the Edinburgh International Film Festival, ahead of the upcoming 2023 edition. We're delighted to see that the festival's back this year and going ahead in a slightly different format. I was wondering if, first of all, could you expand a little bit on the program for this year and what audiences can expect from the 2023 festival? Of course. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your uh, podcast. It's lovely to be with you today. Um, this year's festival, as many of your listeners might know, is uh, taking a slightly different shape for lots of reasons uh, that I won't go into as part of this podcast. Um, but we've uh, we've crafted uh, a beautiful program over six days, incorporating twenty four new feature films, five retrospective titles, five short film programs, and a whole weekend of outdoor screenings, uh, including a further seven features. And um, audiences can look forward to a, uh, a cinematic journey across a bold and beautiful selection of films from local and global talent in Edinburgh this August. We also wanted the festival to offer a space that nurtures essential conversations around the nature of film culture and the changing nature of film culture. 
and a space that champions cinema as an art form amidst the cultural effervescence that is Edinburgh in August. I love that phrase, cultural effervescence. That's such a good summary of the kind of atmosphere of Edinburgh during the summer months. It's a really exciting place to be in. And we really do love the fact that this festival allows us to place cinema in conversation with all of those different art forms. And I think that's that really lends itself to the variety of venues and the kind of spread of the program this year across across the city. What strikes me looking at the program is the kind of the variety of, of film content and film material with films from Scotland, the US, Germany, China, India, Japan, the list goes on. Um, and whilst broadly the festival's kind of contemporary cinema, there are titles from a variety of time periods. Obviously, Safety Last, the silent film presented in partnership with Hit First, is, I think I'm safe to say, the oldest film in the program. Um, celebrating its centenary year this year. Is it difficult to program such a diverse range of material? Well, first of all, I, I want to acknowledge that I was not part of the programming team at Edinburgh this year, though my background is as a programmer. I joined the festival as an executive producer and we have a, a really cracking team of programmers who were in charge of this. So I, I will speak on their behalf, but I don't want to make it sound like it was my decision-making process because it wasn't. Um, but anyone who puts a festival together, whether it's a film festival or another art form, um, will will know how how difficult a balancing act it can be. But I think any film festival, we want to enable films to be in conversation with one another, as well as with obviously your audiences. And for that to happen in the most in the richest possible fashion, um, you'd ideally want to have films from obviously different parts of the globe, as well as films from different eras. You, you mentioned Safety Last, obviously, which is our a collaboration with HipFest, but we also have um, a short selection of retrospective films, uh, film titles that we have put together in collaboration in part with the Cinema Rediscovered in Bristol. And obviously this year's festival is in a much more compact form and we could only fit a fraction of the films that our programming team fell in love with this year. But uh, as I said, I think every act of curation is a, is a balancing act. And I think our programmers did a fantastic job of striking that balance between global and local while prioritizing a lot of first-time filmmakers, which was really important for us too this year. It's so nice as well. Obviously, you mentioned another kind of collaboration with Cinema Rediscovered. And that's another lovely, I guess, part of curating and then planning and, and in actuality, you know, putting on a festival is being able to dip into all these different kinds of other organizations and kind of and work together. So that's something that's really lovely to hear about. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as I said, you know, I mentioned that we were only able to fit in a fraction of the films that we would have probably wanted to program. Likewise, we can only work with a fraction of the partners we would normally want to um, embrace collaborations with in a, in a different year. But I think this, this year's uh, program also reflects um, a desire to engage with the legacy of Linda Miles, um, who was a director of the festival in the 70s. And we will feature in one of the films that we screen. We're screening a work of, in progress about her work and her legacy. And definitely when it comes to the retrospective titles that we've selected this year and the celebration of unruly filmmaking voices, I think her legacy is very much to be found there too. So it's nice to be able to weave these different threads throughout a program. Sounds amazing. 
maybe you've already summarized it perfectly, but why do you think that approach to curation is so important? Acknowledging the past and acknowledging what came before, why do you think that's so important in, in a contemporary festival today? I think the, the resonance of contemporary filmmaking to contemporary audiences um, is obviously informed by everything that came before within cinema history, but also um, within our political and, and cultural selves. And having that opportunity to look back on other ways of engaging with cinema, other ways of understanding what cinema can do or can be for audiences is really key. And giving audiences the opportunity to revisit previous eras in film history, revisit different ways of approaching filmmaking and its uh, relevance is part of your role, I think, as a film programmer, if you have space within that, um, within your own program, obviously. I, I know some, some festivals might be resolutely contemporary in their approach and that's completely valid. But I think if you have the space to do that, it complements, it uh, enriches the experience. Beautiful, but we have the opportunity to do that within our festivals. And hopefully that audiences respond to the, those invitations that we put to them to, to go a little bit deep, deeper and to maybe delve differently into different aspects of film history that they might not have come across before. Um, I mean, it's kind of a perfect segue in what you're saying about enriching the audience experience and the, you know, providing links and connections and, and Safety Last is, is going to be presented with a live musical accompaniment, mm -hmm. accompaniment from Mike Nolan, a very talented silent film musician who we've hosted at HipFest many, many times as a way of, again, enriching that movie-going experience, especially for audiences that perhaps haven't seen a, a film with live mm -hmm. music or a silent film with live music, um, and especially as that's how silent films were intended to be viewed, you know, as an audience and with live music. Why do you think more opportunities to see silent film in that unique setting are, mm -hmm. are important? Um, well, first of all, I want to I say just how excited we are to be partnering with Hipfest on this screening, and, and I'm personally really excited about and being able to screen Safety Last because I recently watched it with my 12-year-old son um, and it was so delightful to to see his excitement and his pleasure, like his obvious pleasure at enjoying this film and, and the many delights that it offers. So I'm really pleased that we're able to screen this film within the context of our outdoors uh, offerings this year in a very family-friendly environment. That was uh, one thing I really wanted to get across. But to answer your question, um, I think... I think curiosity might be a key word for me in answering or even approaching that question. Because I think I'm always mindful of creating opportunities for audiences that can either nourish someone's deeply head love of a particular genre and or broaden someone's appetite for new genres that they may not have experienced before. And I think that live musical accompaniments can be a huge draw for a wide variety of film and cultural experience seekers, for want of a better word. And that uh, it's great to be able to make space for this uh, within a broader program of contemporary film. There's a desire to embrace different ways of experiencing film and exploring how our own encounters with uh, cinema have changed over the, what is it, 130 years, roughly? Like, I think I hope I've got that right. <laughs> uh, since the region has been around. So I think making space for, for silent film to be experienced with live musical accompaniment is is 
a really fantastic invitation to audiences to choose a, a different way of engaging with a medium that they might feel very familiar with in some ways and to provide a space for maybe some unfamiliarity, but in a really welcoming environment. Amazing. Thank you. The Cinema Under the Stars strand, I'm very excited about, offers audiences the opportunity to watch films outside in a really special setting. How do you think watching films outside changes the viewing experience? Do you think, being honest, will the unreliability of Scottish weather be something to contend with or are there, you know, yeah. in place? Of course, of course. I mean, of course, of course, it's something to contend with. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to tempt fate. <laughs> I'm not going to say that everything's going to be absolutely fine. And of course, it's going to be a beautifully sunny weekend. Um, I'm not going to risk that. Uh, it's, an in, it's an interesting offer, I think, to be able to go and watch films outside. I think it makes it more accessible to a wide variety of people for whom being in enclosed spaces may not be comfortable. It's obviously a bit of a risk-taking adventure in itself, which is something we're always wanting to uh, encourage people to, to do. What I mean is that you don't necessarily know what you will get when you go and see films abroad, outside. Um, and there's, again, you know, it's a different way of encountering the, the films that you might be going to see. There's a sense of an occasion that's completely different. Uh, this, the festival's organized outdoor screenings for several years in different spaces, most recently in St. Andrew's Square. And that's obviously a really lovely space of the city in which to host these screenings. But the new setting this year, the Old College Quad at the University of Edinburgh, I think offers us a, a different way of welcoming audiences. The setting itself is absolutely gorgeous. And it's also a little bit more enclosed, which allows us to screen different types of films that can't be screened in a public square. Um, films like Parasite, for example. But the other thing I would say is that it's also, for me, it's also a nod to a tradition that exists in a lot of festivals abroad. You know, there's a lot of famous and not so famous film festivals that host uh, screenings outside in perhaps more reliable weather. <laughs> but these, these film going experiences are very much part and parcel of people's expectations of how they will encounter cinema in those, in those uh, countries. I think it's great for Scotland to be able to make space for that too, even if it's yeah, a little bit riskier, even in the summer. I love the fact that the festivals in Edinburgh will also include uh, adult performances of other art forms, whether it be theatre or live music. And for me, seeing, again, seeing cinema be part of these different experiences that you can provide for audiences makes complete sense. We've also got another collaboration with another festival called uh, Alchemy Film and Arts. We're screening a, a collection of short films by Julia Parks, uh, who's an artist who was commissioned by Alchemy to make films in the Scottish borders. But we're also screening a documentary about Cindy Lauper called Let the Canary Sing. We've got the special screening of the film Scrapper, which was directed by Charlotte Regan, who's an alumna of one of um, EIFF's talent development initiatives, as well as a screening of Hero and Everything Everywhere All at Once. And then we've also got a screening of Parasite, which I mentioned earlier, and uh, Puss in Boots. So I think it's beautifully eclectic and anyone who wishes to take a risk, can also do so with the added incentive of our screenings being offered on a pay-what-you-can basis. So uh, the tickets are two, two pounds up. Um, I hope that makes it a little bit more possible for people to take that risk that you mentioned around unreliable weather in Scotland. <laughs> I mean, I love watching people watch films in the rain. You know, it's quite, it's quite joyful too, you know, so... 
lots of different ways you can experience and enjoy it. Oh, it all sounds so exciting. Such a, as you say, beautiful and eclectic um, outdoor program and fantastic that the tickets are pay what you can or pay as you feel from two pounds up. I wonder if you would mind just reiterating for the final time for our audience, the date and the time uh, for anyone who wants to attend the safety last screening, but also the whole festival in Edinburgh next month um, as it rapidly approaches. Of course. Uh, so the festival itself is taking place from the 18th to the 23rd of August. Tickets are on sale uh, from now uh, via uh, edfilmfest.org.uk. And the screening of Safety Last is taking place early afternoon on Sunday, the 20th of August at the Old College Quad at the University of Edinburgh. So it's very central, Edinburgh. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for talking to me today, Tamara. And I am so excited to try and attend as many things as I possibly can next month. For inviting me, it's a pleasure chatting to you. And uh, yeah, we're really excited to be welcoming Mike Nolan um, and to be working with IPAS this year. It's a real pleasure. I am delighted to be sat here today with Mike Nolan, one of the most talented silent film musicians, oh. companies I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing live and a bit of a hit fest favorite. So we're really excited to have Mike on the line today, chatting a little bit about the upcoming screening of Safety Last coming up in August. Well, hello, Christina, and hello, everybody out there. In podcast land, this is my first podcast. It's really delightful to be here talking to you about silent film. And I'm looking forward to um, trying to answer Christina's questions. It's such a treat that this is your first one. We're honoured to have you the oh, first yeah. time. Oh, great. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So I think we should probably kick off at the beginning, the beginning of the beginning, um, or at least your beginning with silent film. And I was wondering if you can remember what the first silent film was that you've ever seen. And also if you can remember if it was presented with music. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, let's take you way back in time now to the 1970s. Uh, the first silent film or films I remember seeing, I was uh, of a generation when BBC Two started up. Um, and uh, back in those days, the occasion used to screen things like Laurel and Hardy and some Charlie Chaplin films. Of course, now the licensing is different. You don't see them so often. But back then, I tuned in a few of those uh, early silence uh, when I was about 10, 11, 12. So those are the first silent films I saw. I guess I was aware of the music. I already was um, learning music and I knew that I was a musician, was going to be a musician, I already was, um, but I didn't really associate myself was wanting to do music for silent films. That just occurred to me at that time. But I guess the first silent film that really made an impression on uh, a few years after that, um, my family were traveling down to the south of England from Scotland, and we stayed in a and b in Cumbria on a very stormy night. And uh, we were all there, all five of us, and late at night, they all went to bed and my dad wanted to stay up and watch a film on BBC Two quite late at night. After 11 o'clock, I was about 11, I think, maybe 12, and it was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. 
my parents said, this is a really old film. I've always wanted to see this. I said, well, I quite fancy watching that a horror movie with my dad. So there we were in this top attic room and on this old 1970s TV watching this black and white broadcast of Caligari. And that really made an impression. It's quite a scary film, quite an adult film, really. Psychologically deep. I don't remember much about the music then, but that I still have a very strong visual image of myself sitting on this leather sofa in this darkened room watching this film with my dad. So that's, that's the first film I remember seeing. Yeah. That stayed with me all this time. It's nice how these really key early memories you have of films have such mm. a visual quality to them. And like I can imagine, I'm imagining, you know, the storm outside and the kind yeah it was it was a stormy it. rainy night it sounds like <laughs> oh, a drama play or something like that isn't it but uh, it really was you know wow. it really stayed with me like the years so you, you don't remember necessarily the music as part of that film so no. you were you were a musician from an early age when did you first begin to play alongside silent film when did you first try like experiment with mixing the two yeah, it wasn't really until the early 90s. And my next kind of formative experience, I guess, with silent film was um, I left my music degree at Edinburgh in the 80s. And later I came back to finish an undergraduate degree at Stirling. I did the film and media course at Stirling. And while I was there, they have an art center there, a robot art center. And while I was there, the Scottish Film Archive arrived to present silent films, a program of local silent films about Stirling and central Scotland uh, in the theatre with live piano accompaniment by, by a colleague who's now you know, a friend and a colleague and a fellow silent film pianist. And I went to this uh, kind of as part of my course because I was reading about silent film and quite a few of us, uh, the student culturally went to see that show. And uh, I was just really thought, you know, I improvise all the time. I, I don't like the drudge of writing music down quite so much. I think really fast and everything, you know, quite a flexible improviser. Um, I'm always enjoying improvisation. And I saw this guy uh, improvising on the piano to these films. I thought, yeah, I could do that. I'd really love to do that. So I couldn't help myself, but I trotted down after the show ended and had a new word with Janet McBain who was the curator of the Scottish Film Archive at the time, who was presenting from the lectern and said, uh, look, that was really, really interesting. I'm a musician. I would really like to find out more about this. Thanks to Janet, she was great. And she did get back in touch with me. And I ended up doing some live performances and some community performances, recording uh, four short films, mostly documentary, I should say, and mostly quite short for the Scottish Film Archive. A little after that started in 94, I think, uh, 1996, the archive went out on the road to the mobile cinema and we did movies on the move. hundred years of cinema in Scotland. And we toured around the, uh, the north of Scotland, community venues presenting uh, films from a van using the pianos that were there. I did take my own keyboard uh, as well, but I remember using the upright piano in uh, Braemar, the uh, community hall, I think. Uh, it was rather a nice piano. So I remember things like that. That's how I kind of got started into it, thanks to the Scottish Film Archive, which is now, of course, part of the 
National Library of Scotland to move an image archive there. I feel like that's probably the best way to start. I'm not a musician by any means, or an athlete, I should say. Mm. But when I'm watching silent film accompanists, yeah. performers, playing alongside a feature, you know, playing furiously for yeah. up to, you know, 85, 90 minutes. I genuinely don't know how, like, that must require training to be able to concentrate for that long and to actually be able to play for that long. It's not a usual thing to be able to play solidly for that length of time. So is that something that you did have to kind of build up to? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Those short films, although they were short, they were usually presented together in a program which would last right about an hour and a half. So that's about the same as playing continuously for a feature. But there are... There's a subjective aspects, like what kind of film is it? Is it a narrative film? Is there a story that you can latch onto uh, and use that to inform the music? One I remember particularly was a visit to a sausage making factory, right? And it was just this film showing you these machines making sausages. I thought, right, okay, what kind of music, what kind of music would be the right mood for sausages? Somehow I did it. You know, I did some kind of quirky, ragtimey, jazzy thing or whatever. Sometimes uh, when films are documentary or they don't have necessarily a much of a narrative thread, it is a bit tricky to do that. So there's a subjective thing. The other aspect of it is, of course, the physical and uh, mental preparation one needs to play for a program that long. You just have to warm up, obviously, and I do that. Um, just warm the muscles, breathe and so on and just... Like any actor would, you know, or musicians do for, for any performance, you've got to warm up. If it's a feature, nowadays, of course, most of us silent film musicians are able to see the film before we play for it uh, several times now, thanks to digital technology and so on, that's so much easier. And so we can look for things like the characters, the story is, what their motivation is, the feelings coming out of the film, how I might emotionally react to the film. I also look more prosaically for things like the edits, maybe some jump cuts, and you need to kind of prepare for those and know where they come. Also for comedies, if you've got Laurel and Hardy silent, um, and there's a pratfall in it, you know, or the building falls down, you've got to be right on that. There's no sense in crashing a great big bass keyboard chord. One second after this actually happened, I try to prepare for those things as well, as much as possible. Just try and see the film as much as possible and really get into the film until I feel that I, ideally that I know it as well as I can do. And I can kind of forget about worrying the next shot's going to be. Uh, whatever I'm accompanying is to try and disappear into the film a little bit. So you don't actually notice that the music's there, if that makes some kind of sense. So the music sounds natural and that the audience can forget that I'm there and they can actually just get absorbed in the film. That's the ideal that I'm trying to work towards. I mean, that's an totally answered what was going to be my next question because there's the whole physical preparation of, of yeah, out yeah. performance, but a lot of the time when people hear, you know, that it's mm. an improvised accompaniment, they might think that you literally sit down at the piano and then just watch the film for the first time and play along. <laughs> That's not the case. And as you say, a lot of time spent beforehand 
really preparing a structure yeah. and, and how you're going to support the story, I think is really good to shine a light on and stress that it's not just turning up, you know, yeah. hoping for the best. It nearly it has nearly been like that. Once <laughs> twice I've stepped in, I've done it film a very short notice. Uh, on a few occasions, I forget what I am or I forget what's coming next. And it does feel like I'm making it up. And of course, in the early days, violent film musicians, small bands or whatever, they didn't see them. And pianists particularly had to just get in there and make it up. But they had a whole repertoire, perhaps usually of mm-hmm. built up styles and scenes. But nowadays, yeah, generally we can all spend time preparing and looking up a film. Trying to think, you know, is there something different I could do with this? Or um, is there some middle path I can make with the music here where it's not too obvious, not too corny, but I'm still maybe presenting something fresh. But then I'm also, as, as I was saying, trying to disappear into the film a little bit so that it sounds as natural for the film because the film is the most important thing. Thank you for that. That was a really useful kind of groundwork for for what you do when you're approaching a film um but to talk perhaps more specifically about the film coming up which is safety last coming up as part of eiff this year i confess to the viewers as well i have not seen safety last so what kind of film is it what can audiences expect boiler alert uh no really folks i'm not going to tell you the plot it's uh, oh, it's a great film. It's one of the greatest silent films, silent film features come out of America. It's Harold Lloyd, who was one of the, I guess, three main, there are more individual silent film comedians from the 10s, 20s and 30s in America, but the principal famous ones, of course, are Chaplin, Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd, who's perhaps not quite so well known as Keaton and Chaplin. But the lovely thing about Harold Lloyd is um, his persona in his films and how engaging he is. He's much more engaging, I think, directly with the viewers in general than Eaton Chaplin or Keaton, famous stone face Keaton. The thing about Safety Last is 100 years old this year, but um, Harold Lloyd's persona and the way he communicates the camera looking out the camera and the range of expressions that he uses, his persona as the uh, kind of naive young man trying to make good. Uh, you have sympathy for him straight away. Uh, there's a romance in there as well. So he's got to try and make good for his, for his girlfriend. I'm not telling you too much about the plot, but uh, it's, it's a romantic comedy, but it caused a lot of stunts and physical comedy. I mean, in the way that Keaton and Lloyd used physical comedy, there's lots of gags. For example, the very opening, uh, opening scene in the film, one of the great visual gags of old silent comedy films, it's a great gag. And then there's the famous image, of course, of Harold hanging off this clock, uh, several hundred meters up above the Los Angeles streets. Uh, he did all his own stunts. Um, as far as I know, he never used a uh, stunt double. And um, for that scene and for all the clambering, um, he did all that himself. Uh, and then remarkably, as well, in an earlier film, um, he had an injury to his hand. 
he had one of his fingers um, blown off, basically, by a crop bomb. You know, getting these kind of black spheres that says bomb on it. Mm-hmm. So, no, you know, and it goes boom or whatever. But this was actually a live thing. And so he lost the finger of his hand. And you, if you look very carefully in the movie and all Harold Lloyd's secret movie, you'll see he's wearing white glove. Oh, he keeps his right hand. Um, but he's also climbing up this building. You know, it's extraordinary. So uh, to cut back a little to what kind of film is it? Yeah, it's a daredevil romantic comedy. That with, yeah, lots of stunts. It's never boring. There's a few special effects and things in it as well, which are pretty remarkable. And he had directorial control over the whole making of that film. The storyboarding, the direction, all the rest of it. The romance in it as well as Mildred Davis plays the girl. And he eventually did marry Mildred. Over Davis in real life. They were kind of like a golden couple in the 20s and 30s in Hollywood. They had, I think, the biggest house ranch in uh, Beverly Hills. Yeah, great big parties they had there. Yeah, it was like, you know. Yeah, they, they were the it couple. You sound very much like a Harold Lloyd fan. Um, <laughs> as you say, I, Harold Lloyd is maybe slightly less well known than Chapman uh, yeah. Keaton. Are there any other titles? that Harold Lloyd is incredible in that you would recommend people to look out for? Yeah, an equally good film, not quite so famous. I would say it's The Freshman, where he plays a college kid, plays American football and whatever. The football games and the competition are kind of the driver of that film. Fantastically well filmed. And again, he plays this, you know, local boy wanting to make good kind of a character. Another feature I've played for, which I really enjoyed, was Grandma's Boy. Maybe the title gives it away. He again, he's a young man trying to make good. He also made quite a few shorts as well in his early days before he actually had the kudos and so on to be directing longer features and before the technology would allow it, of course, uh, they made a number of two wheelers. Oh, I can't see any off the top of my head now, but there's loads of stuff. He made lots and lots of movies. And uh, he was still going and appearing on What's My Line, I think, in the 50s. You know, people still knew who he was, even then. So a lot to discover. Well, perhaps this screening um, will be the starting point for lots of audience members to then go on a full Harold Lloyd binge. (laughs) I hope so. Yeah, I mean, not just Harold Lloyd. This film is 100 years old now, made in 1923, which is kind of why it's getting screened now. And we're kind of coming into the the 2020s now where... A lot of those really well-made longer features are now 100 years old and they're worth celebrating. Access to these zones is a lot better than it, than it was, say, 20, 30 years ago. Um, so I would encourage everybody just to get out there and, you know, find some of this stuff online. Go out and find them. They're, they're all there. I was talking to Tamara earlier in the show about the experience of going to a film festival, the experience of seeing silent film with music and all of these ways that we can enrich film experiences. Um, One of which I think is by watching films outside or in, or in unique or interesting venues. I remember in 2022, you performed for the platform rails, a hip fest, which is on the station. And uh, this screening that we're chatting about is part of the cinema under the stars strand. Um, 
in a wonderful setting in Edinburgh. Honestly, do you enjoy playing for audiences outside or is it just more challenging? Honestly, yes. Uh, yeah, it does have its challenges. But then, of course, part of the novelty is part of the uh, the joy of it. And, um, and well, of course, you know, cinemas used to be shown in drive-ins and stuff like that. And I've seen films, I've seen some like a hot projected onto uh, a church wall in the south of France a few years ago. The great crowd from the local village all coming to see this. Yeah, why not take film outside if you can? Um, and uh, the co old college court is a great venue uh, because it's surrounded on four sides by these late 18th century stone buildings. So acoustically, it's going to be great. Uh, a big screen, you know, um, seeing Harold Lloyd's face on that side of the screen is going to be quite something. The challenges are, yes, as you said, it's freezing sometimes outside. It's certainly in Scotland. Hopefully not going to be that, that chilly. I do have two sets of fingerless gloves, um, which I shall deploy in my pockets at least. Um, see if I need them. Woolen fingerless gloves, you know, so your knuckles uh, don't get they're cold. Because um, it's important to keep your hands warm and they will dilute and whatever. And for platform reel, myself and some of my other colleagues have done that show over the years. We all wear, you know, police scarf, a bonnet in Scotland, we call it a bonnet or a beanie, uh, you know, to stay, to stay warm. It's just, you know, it's just something really, uh, different and, and, and it's an experience. So I, I do enjoy playing outside. Yeah. And the few occasions I've done it, I'm looking forward to this one very much. Hopefully you won't have to have the scarf and the fleece and the <laughs> for August. You'd hope, but we'll see. You never know. It is, it is a wedding you know, yeah. it's a it's a family film and it should be a family show. So please do encourage families, bring your kids and all the rest of it because they will love it. So you will all love this film. And I promise you, you'll have a great afternoon. Is there anything particular for, for audiences to listen out for? Any little musical? Uh, musical things to listen to? Well, <laughs> I did say I tried to disappear into the film. So the film is a more important thing. But if you like playing these kind of little guessing games and whatever, one of the things I like to do it is for a, a theme, perhaps to run through a film, I pick up on what the, the film composer James Barnard used to do was he used to take the title of a film and turn it into music. He did a score for the vampire film, Nosferatu. And, uh, he, his main theme for the opening titles was Nosferatu. And then he went from there. You know, it's just a simple thing. And I quite often do that. And I might do that with, say, G-Last. And then I'll have some little themes for the characters to go through there. And the other thing maybe to listen out for, if you're an avid classical, classic FM or Radio 3 listener or whatever, I sometimes like to throw in a few little mystery quotes from some classical things. I'm primarily a classical musician. That's where I came from. And I learned all this classical music. And sometimes I draw on that, like, um, sound good musicians always used to do and still do to a certain extent, nothing too obvious, but you might like to listen out for, I don't know, maybe a little wisp of Wagner or, um, and a little bit, you know, Berlioz or Beethoven coming in there. And if you hear that, then, uh, you, you might well be right. Well, thank you so much, Mike. That's been so great to chat about the process in the film and mm. just your enthusiasm for 
accompanying silent film really shines through and I'm super excited to see and hear uh, this performance in August. So thank you so much. No, at all. I've really enjoyed speaking to you about silent film and about this show. Please come and see it. It's such a great movie. And uh, just go and find silent movies, everybody, if you haven't already. They're wonderful. Okay, thanks very much, Christina. Thank you. Listen out for more episodes, like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We would love it if you would rate and review this podcast to help us reach a bigger and broader audience. A final request, HipFest needs help and you might be our missing link. We rely on grants and sponsorship for more than 80% of HipFest costs to bring you great films with live music and much more. Could you or someone you know benefit from a sponsorship slot in this very podcast? If so, then please get in touch by emailing hipfest at folkirk.gov.uk. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much.